You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Laura Whitcomb. Laura, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, Brainerd, for having me. I'm very excited to speak about Paulina PV. I am too. So we're talking about Paulina PV, uh, the show called Astral Cultural Messenger at Andrew Edlin Gallery. Uh, and um, and you're the curator of it, of course, because we're talking about the late Paulina Peavy. So let's begin with, if we can, the back room. There's two rooms to this exhibition. There's a, a, a front foyer, but there's also a, a hallway, a large room, and a back room. And the back room is, is quite dramatically lit. Um, and there's some objects in the back room, particularly... Uh, a mask and and a few objects next to it. So perhaps this is a fitting way to get into what's happening, what happened with Paulina Peavy, what's happening in this show. Um, can you tell me about uh, those objects, particularly the masks on the back wall? Yes, absolutely. So Paulina Peavy was a channeler. She channeled a discarnate entity named Lacomo, and um, in, in the ceremonies of being a spiritualist channeler, she would create elaborate masks to, as a ceremonial way to engage with um, Lacomo. Uh, the masks of, um, that she created, two of them are on the back wall. And of course, we create an atmosphere with dramatic shadows to give one a sense of um, what we are trying to achieve in the room, which is to recreate um, her installation at the Golden Gate International Exposition in 1939 in San Francisco, where she was given an arena in what was called the Temple of Religion. And it was kind of um, an incredible coup for this artist because she was allowed to present her very... um, complex ideologies and philosophies through her paintings, which sought to really overturn and question religious traditions. So if one is familiar with another uh, um, channeler artist, Hilma F. Clint, who also um, had dreamed of creating uh, um, her work in a spiral um, that would, that would, facilitate the feeling of being in a, in a religious temple. Uh, PV also yearned to um, create this impact with her paintings, to create um, a, a sense of a, a new religiosity. So the back room really in, showcases those intentions with the actual paintings that were shown in 1939. So that's, it's, it's such a, she's such a fascinating figure, of course, um, and the history and her life. To talk about the term astral cultural messenger, can can we discuss that a little bit? Because of course that that overlaps with a little bit of what you're saying too, in terms of her her channeling and uh, her her presentation, right? Astral cultural. Yes. So astral cultural is somewhat of a new word in the sense that it's being applied to um, the UFO culture that has really really arrived with a with a of a fuller force than it had in the past. Um so these new terminologies are arriving. But um PV PV as an astrocultural messenger separates herself from many of the uh channeler female channeler artists like 
uh, Hillmouth Clint and um, uh, Ital- uh, and Agnes Pelton, she was channeling a discarnate entity that identified as coming from um, the vast regions of space and other dimensions um, and coming from other planets and arriving on a, fl- um, a flying aircraft that was capable of traveling such spaces as early um, as, you know, early, early enough that um, this, was, this was before the arrival of Roswell and, and the great UFO age. So it is fascinating, and she does. Um, she is unique in the sense that uh, she is. She she began in the spiritualist movement, channeling um, entities, but hers identified as belonging to the astroculture world. Uh, we the 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 show is called Astrocultural Messenger because she became. Um, she served the. Uh, she served through her art to showcase the messages and ideologies of Lacomo, who who really sought a, a new epic for an advanced um, era for humankind. And I'd love to talk more about that. It's it's such a fascinating show, and you know there was also a vitrine that had a number of books in it that was. Um, imagine what she was reading at the time, but at the time she was making these, and, and, and you mentioned other artists like Hilma F. Clint, this wasn't uh, art that was easy to, easy to kind of present and digest then, right? And, and, and for years, it's, it's, been art, it's been difficult art to, to even get out into the world and to share with the world. Hilma F. Clint, of course, is enjoying you know, great notoriety now, uh, the late Hilma F. Clint, but there was a period where where this type of work, um, work dealing with spirituality and, and related issues, um, seem to be misunderstood or, or, or not received well. Is, is that correct? Well, generally that would be um, a fair assessment. Uh, there was the uh, spiritualist and theosophical communities that really encouraged artists to try to illustrate um, the unknown, and, and that seemingly even became the basis of, of what we know as, as contemporary art with Kandinsky and, and, and um, being moved by these ideas that came out of the theosophists or from the publications such as, publications such as Thought Forms. Um, but, um, yeah, it, 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 but generally the public was um, very deterred by, by PV when she started to engage publicly her alliances to astroculture. So, um, PB was showing at very, very prestigious galleries um, in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York. But when she started to really ally herself with the astrocultural movement after Roswell, um, she really um, became controversial, and a lot of the galleries were not so um, supportive of her. And she began to really retreat and have her own salon-style gallery within her house and, and started to publish manuscripts to really um, contextualize um, her philosophy. So um, she, she was uh, re- rejected, so to speak, by the established art world, but she decided to enter a new counterculture that really she believed would amplify her intentions. And to talk about- and to talk about her intentions, and, and specifically Lacamo, 
that she was um, channeling and, and her writings along with, you know, this enormous body of work. What was, in, in, in your view, and I know this is a, a big question, but, but what was being said? There's, there's so much narrative here. There's so much information. And that it's both written and visual seems remarkable. Um, so it, it, what I'm asking is, what was essentially the message of Lacamo that she is um, channeling here, that, that, that she felt needed to be heard, seen by the public? Well, that's a great question, an important one. Um, yes, yeah, so um, there was a basic cosmology that what I try to establish in this exhibition through the ephemer cases and all the other es- esoteric and astrocultural literature is um, is that there are alliances between her cosmology and many other um, histories of esoteric groups like Theosophy, um, Rudolf Steiner, um, and many of the uh, UFO philosophers. This idea that um, humanity had this cyclical process. And what PV did is um, she famously said, um, I have studied every religious, metaphysical, or occult society, organization, or movement to take that which I could prove as being factual, casting out of my thought all idolatry. So what this means is um, her cosmology synthesized a lot of the occult understandings, but also through Lacomo, she established the idea of 12,000-year cycles. And this would be an ongoing cycle where you would have evolution and de-evolutions, where humanity would devolve into chaos. Um, Speaking of where we are in history today with what's happening in the news and the barbarity happening in the Mideast, this is the prime example of what motivated her to... um, to, uh, get her philosophy out. Uh, she, this 12,000-year philosophy also dealt with ideas of gender and that there would be, high, there would be a fusion of gender at the h- highest pinnacle of, of, of its evolution. So a lot of her ideas um, uh, echo the ancient alchemical idea of the rebos where, where gender fuses and this is the highest state of consciousness. So in PV's um, cosmology, uh, humanity would devolve into war and chaos, and then slowly um, through exercises of, of um, advancement, they would rise into a new age, which was all divided into summer, fall, um, winter, and spring. So it's, it's a very complex uh, ideology, but it does echo a lot of um, other esoteric traditions. It's just fascinating. And, and to talk about this process a little bit of, of channeling, because that's, that's both kind of obvious, but also um, I imagine quite different. The way she approached her, her practice, her process, was to first wear the mask and, and receive ideas and information and then take off the mask and paint? Or was that a part of the painting itself. Like she would, I mean, I, I don't know if this is known that she would wear the mask and, and paint while she had the mask on in this state of, of channeling. From an interview that I did with um, a close uh, friend of hers, she would uh, 
continue wearing the mask. But her practice began um, in in the 30s in uh, at a spiritualist temple with a woman named Ida Ewing, and they were just basically um, practicing traditional seance work and. And from there, PB developed her own ritual, her own. And this is what's so fascinating about her is that she adapted so many traditions to make it something that was uniquely her own. And this also underscores one of the reasons that I wanted to write this book is to is to write it for um, a demographic that would be believers and non-believers because either way her story is truly fascinating because she had experienced a great deal of trauma in her life and one could explore the idea that the brain has a salvific mechanism to create an elaborate cosmology and purpose that uh, validates all of the sufferings that you've gone through in life for for a, a, a for a greater goal and a greater purpose. So one could look at um, the cosmology divide, devised as being self-serving, but also um, for those that are the believers, it really um, strengthens and expands um, the understanding and, uh, of, of why so many ufologists and so many channelers and experiencers really are sick. Um, often saying the same story that these uh, discarnate beings and these um, that they are communing with are all very concerned about humanity and especially their arrival had come at a time right after Roswell and coming to Roswell where the 509th bombardment that had bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki was stationed. I mean, this is, this is a very powerful sense of data. Um, for those in, interested in science, the idea of quantum entanglement, that we were disturbing the outer reaches of the universe and, under, and other dimensions. I mean, these are things that almost modern science could, um, could validate in terms of the arrival of, of the discarnate entities that um, became the, the, the spokesman of UFO culture. So it's, it's just fascinating on all sides and I, I think her story really has something for everyone so uh yeah in terms of the the research you've done in this because you know there's there's um there's research and there's research right there's this seems kind of like a a rabbit hole almost i can't imagine the amount of um information you must have poured through and and, and then also digested in terms of all these different fields and, and, and related fields, you know, it seems unlike uh, what you would do for, for typically for artists, because this, this is so broad and, and so reaching into different categories in terms of your research uh, into this artist for this book. Um, was there a particular area that, that drew you in or was particularly mystifying in some ways? Well, I had um, I come from a background of of surrealism, and I had been very interested in the surrealists and their engagement with the occult for ten years. I also grew up in Southern California, and I had family members who were part of the Philosophical Research Society, and so I had been exposed to a lot of the um, esoteric literature and traditions um, 
of that that um, that are fluid here in Southern California. So um, I also am, I was very interested in the history of lesser known California artists, and I work with um, uh, Nuren Dickerson, who is an incredible researcher that is uh, is really um, able to create timelines for artists that are are you are normally unaccessible inaccessible. So we, we did work as a team in terms of the research. However, um, I was familiar with a lot of the artists that sort of came up in the research. And when I saw the names Danson McDonald Wright, Morgan Russell, Lorsa Feidelson, these are some of the first abstract art- artists in American history. Um, Lorsa Feidelson was one of the um, first surrealists in, or, or artists engaging surrealism in Southern California. So the fact that she was showing with these artists, studying with these artists, she was also studying with Hans Hoffman, um, this drew me into there being a story that was just absolutely fascinating just by by virtue that nobody had really heard of her and known about this zeitgeist that she had um, with her gallery in San Pedro, which is um, uh, south of Los Angeles, but considered part of Los Angeles. Uh, So it, it, when... Um, the research started unveiling um, the fact that there was this community with esoteric ties and she w- had friendships with another artist named Mabel Alvarez who was connected to uh, um, William Levington Comfort who had a salon where Agnes Pelton uh, went regularly. I, I, I began to realize I'm, I like to connect the dots and I started to really realize that this is a story that's never been told and the alliances between these artists um, uh, is is something that I think art history is always trying to deny. But I think we unearth some, you know, just some facts that now can really not be argued. So um, it, it 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 it's a, it's sort of like both sides of my my left and right brain was just on fire with this project. I'm bad and. and- and, and the images are also, of course, quite extraordinary. They're gorgeous to look at, even you know, without talking about this context. There's beautiful compositions and colors, and, um, and and just so vibrant. And they there are some that seem to to have a, a kind of narrative. We see more than one painting that looks like there's kind of light coming out of the eyes. Um, to talk about that a little bit, the narrative in, in, in some of these paintings, um, do you see a narrative in all of these? Do they seem quite specific? Some of them look like, you know, there's a, a prayer happening or hands. Others um, border on being completely abstract, but they, they go back and forth, it seems to me, between being um, figurative and, and entirely abstract or having a, a somewhat identifiable narrative to to being um, not as identifiable in terms of a narrative. That's yes. Um, so I, um, I, I, it's PV PV's paintings, and I will. She, she has her paintings, and she has her works on paper, and she has her phantasmas that are that are in the show. But with the paintings that I think your question um, predominantly pertains to, PV's paintings are unlike any tradition of paintings. They were created in incremental stages, guided by Lacomo, 
over a period of up to 40 years. Some would argue 50. And the incremental stages began, each, each incremental stage had to send another message for humanity. And only when humanity was readied for the next message would the next layer of her paintings arrive. So in a sense, they're not just paintings. There, there are many paintings. And, um, and also, uh, just to start with, you, you mentioned almost biblical figures. She really wanted to um, address the misconstrued ideologies that she found in traditional religion. Many pertain to patriarchal um, values. That uh, so, she her the first layer of her paintings often um, have quotes from the Bible. But what they are trying to do, and with these figures that were painted in the 30s, she's showcasing these um, misconstrued ideas of biblical tradition. And after that. Um, um, largely when she came to New York, she, she wanted to create um, the sense that these, these um, beings that she had um, began as a portrait were interdimensional, that they were now entering this fluidity of space because they were going to incarnate a new um, era. So there's lots of plasma and floating translucent forms around them, and that, that's the second layer um, and I mean, the, and, and you're probably also, you've noticed, um, and you addressed the, the, the eye of Ra or the, uh, or, or why eyes are so central that, uh, coincides to her interest in Egyptology and the idea of the eye of Ra, the all seeing eye, but also the eye is like the female ovum or, or just the ovum. And this also is the same shape of the mandala and the shape of the flying saucer spacecraft. It's for her, it was all relative because um, all forces of nature were fluid and um, would metamorphosize um, based on the symbolic desire to the viewer. So, so that's why um, the, the, the eye frequents through her paintings. But the, but the last um, layer um, is, is notably her crystals, which are very bright, colorful, warped um, symbols that are applied last. And these were very much indicative of, of, of um, what was happening in sort of the New Age because many of the ancient... Cosmolo the esoteric traditions believed in the Antiluvidian ages of Atlantis and Lemuria, and the idea that these ancient people um, encoded their wisdom and their traditions into crystals through sound vibration. It, it's, it's sort of an idea that came out again in the 70s with the New Age movement. So PD's painting these crystals, which embody sort of infinite wisdom and, and are meant to activate us unconsciously through the lost language of our atavistic resources, so to speak. So it's, um, it's, it's when, when people try to see her work as from kind of what I like, what, what I call the Clement Greenberg kind of perspective, it just doesn't work because it, 
it isn't something that um, it's 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 you're looking at a series of of symbols that are meant to activate the unconscious and prepare you for what she believed would be a new age for humanity. Yeah, it's just so fascinating. And so in pouring over these these works as as you have um, and getting and getting so deeply involved with them in terms of you know talking about these in in yeah the non Clement Greenberg way the a non uh, almost academic way are there parts of your unconscious if I can ask that were activated through this this research? Um, that's that's an interesting question. I mean, I I was alone with the work um, throughout the pandemic. I was actually supposed to be, I was only supposed to, because when I write about an artist, I like to have, I like to have the artist work in my home and have like an intimate encounter with an artist and, and, and sort of see it as the first thing when I wake up in the morning and the last thing when I go to bed. And, and I, I really start to feel um, an intimacy with an artist and understand them on different levels. Of course, um, yes, I had profound experiences with with PV's work um, being here, and um, but also, I I think um, I myself walked into this project with a bias, and and I came out of it with really being fortified with infinite infinite new possibilities. Um, I found a part of myself that had a Cartesian way of of, of thinking. And, and I think PV really um, kind of relieved me of that last morsel of it. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been fascinating to talk to you about this. I really appreciate your work on the show and the book. And I want to congratulate you on this wonderful show at Andrew Edlin, which, of course, there are more links here for listeners to research more. Again, Laura, thank you so much for your time and work on this show. Thank you, Brandon. It was such a pleasure to speak to you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.